Hello, I'm Dawn Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. Part of our goal is to educate schools about the roles individuals play in the school setting. This allows educators the opportunity to not only grow in their own knowledge, but to also ensure equity and inclusion for all of our students. With us today on Patent Pod is an audiologist and consultant, Dr. Jennifer Craig, and Dr. Nicole Corbin, an audiologist from the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome both to Patent Pod. We're excited to have you here today. Dr. Corbett, if I could just kind of start with you and making sure that we all understand what we're talking about. Students who are deaf and hard of hearing need access to an educational audiologist, but I'm not sure, myself included, that we really understand the role of an educational audiologist. So can you help us kind of clarify that role and, and really how does that role factor into the school setting? Sure. So an educational audiologist is someone who is trained in audiology to provide support services to children who are deaf and hard of hearing or might have any listening difficulties in the school setting. So they're gonna work with those children, their teachers, any educational support staff, uh, as well as the parents and the family to make sure that the children have maximum access to the curriculum in the classroom. I think one of the things you had said there that was so key is that optimal access. And it's not just to the learning you had said, you had said the, the social interactions, any communication partners, which could be teachers, staff, other students, peers, family members, community members. So I think that's a really important, important piece to say here. And Dr. Craig, if I could just get your input for a minute now, how do students who are deaf and hard of hearing or who have listening difficulties, how do they get access to this educational audiologist that Dr. Corbin explained to us? Well, I think one important thing to point out is audiology, educational audiology is a related service under IDEA. So what that means, um, we have to manage things based on the criteria in the IDEA, which would be screening, um, assessment, ap amplification, any type of habilitation. Um, and then the other part that falls under that would be um, checking of equipment needs to happen every day. Um, so in a school setting, how would you seek out an audiologist? It needs to be part of the IEP. So as a parent sitting around the IEP table, you need to request that service on your IEP. A lot of times um, schools may say they don't have an education audiologist. Um, if it's on the IEP, it needs to happen. Um, and it, again, because it's part of IDEA, they don't really have the option not to provide the service when it's on the IEP. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, seek it out on your own. Ask a university, ask a local um, hospital. Um, you can ask a neighboring school district. You could talk to other parents. There's options to contract with a neighboring school or a neighboring IU to provide mm -hmm. educational audiology. Um, but the really important part of that when you're talking about fitting and using equipment in the school setting, an educational audiologist is the only one out of, you know, teachers of the deaf, speech language pathologists, they are the only professional qualified to fit hearing assistive technology. There is no one else in the school system that is qualified to do that. 
Wow, that is an important understanding. And, and you know, you had mentioned that this is related services. And so when we think about that, and, and that kind of leads me right into my next thought, I, I was really trying to kind of contextualize the role of an educational audiologist within an IEP team. And, and really what you're saying is that's a must. That's a must under IDEA is it's not really a choice. Um, and so this is something that we really have to advocate for. So Dr. Craig, if we could just kind of continue on this line of thinking here. So then what considerations might an educational audiologist highlight for the classrooms, um, for classroom access for students and for families beyond what you had mentioned, which I found fascinating, just you know the fact that they're the only qualified individual to really work with that, the listening devices and communication devices. Um, so what other, what other aspects can they highlight for students within an IEP team process? Um, like Dr. Corbin said, classroom acoustics is a big, um, a big part mm -hmm. of what they do. They're gonna go and assess the classroom to make sure the background noise is at a minimum. Um, if there's a problem with doing something to reduce that noise, they may use um, hearing assistive technology with the student that's deaf or hard of hearing. They may use sound field systems, which would benefit the whole classroom. Um, some other things they might do, um, they might write recommendations for program placement, like what's the appropriate placement for the student that's deaf or hard of hearing. They may also talk about different accommodations, seating in the classroom, lighting. Um, they also are a very big part of hearing loss prevention programs for schools. So they may be the ones going out and teaching all the kids about how to protect their hearing. And they're also gonna work collaboratively with the school nurses a lot of times in the screening programs. And Dr. Corbin can really um, talk to that point because I know she's doing a lot of work with hearing screening right now. Um, but I think the other point to highlight, it's not just your typical hearing loss. It could be a student with a unilateral hearing loss. It could be a student with auditory neuropathy. Um, it could be students with fluctuating hearing loss and even auditory processing disorders would fall under the scope of an educational audiologist. I think the scope from what I'm, from what I'm hearing and all the notes I keep taking, the scope of an educational audiologist is not as tunneled as perhaps it was perceived in the past. Um, myself included, and I'll, I'll take responsibility for that misunderstanding, but it's so much broader. And you even touched upon the prevention of hearing loss. So um, Dr. Corbin, I'm going to jump right to you if you want to add any thoughts around the, the prevention and screening of hearing loss within our school settings. Sure, yeah. So again, like Dr. Craig was saying, under IDEA, um, that is part of our role. So as educational audiologists, um, somebody who is an educational audiologist would be putting in place the hearing, hearing conservation programs in a school. And that is for all children. So we know that um, exposure to loud noises, um, even you know, listening devices. So we have a lot of, everyone these days is constantly listening through headphones. We also have concerts um, that we might be exposed to. We might be exposed to loud noise through work environments as we as we go grow older and as children transition from school age to the workforce, they might be exposed to loud noises. And so we wanna educate them early on about how to protect their hearing in those types of environments. Hearing loss, that kind of hearing loss that you get from exposure to loud noises or even some medications can cause hearing loss. Um, is not reversible. So we want to do our job to educate 
make people aware of it at an early age so they can take action to <clears throat> protecting their hearing early on and through the rest of their life. Another thing that we know is that intervention, whether that be um, through hearing assistive technology or just um, some modifications to the classroom environment, such as Dr. Craig touched on as well, even communication strategies are really, really helpful the earlier we implement them. So we want to be able to identify hearing loss as early as possible. And sometimes we, we just aren't aware that we have a hearing loss, especially as a child, you might not know anything else. And so we want to make sure that we're implementing screening programs so that we can identify those children who are at risk of developing hearing loss or who currently have hearing loss that's undiagnosed. That way we can get some services and, and some, some supports in place as soon as possible to make sure that they have the best foot going forward in their educational programming and they can achieve whatever they want in life. And so part of our role then is to develop, implement, um, and coordinate these hearing screening programs at the, at the general school level. And so the audiologist um, in the school setting is gonna be really responsible for that, that coordination and development. The other piece to that, of course, when you identify, like I was mentioning earlier, having some educational programming around hearing loss prevention, hearing conservation. And so that could also be um, under the role, it is under the role of an educational audiologist to implement that programming in the school setting. That hearing conservation is such a powerful word, I think, that, that phrase, because that's ultimately ensuring all students have a successful path moving forward. And that um, screening and the early identification to catch um, an individual student who may or may not have any awareness that that we're having a difficulty, right? Because it's their it's their everyday environment that they're they're experiencing. And I think that's that's such an important piece that I, I don't know that we've talked about before when it comes to hearing impairments, right? We talk about universal screeners for academics. We talk about universal screeners for behavior and social emotional health. This is a component that we need to think about to identify and intervene early. Um, so, you know, on that note, Dr. Craig, I'm, I'm gonna jump right back to you here if I could. There seems to be a very unique and specific role that educational audiologists play within a school setting. How can these individuals collaborate with school staff even outside of an IEP team? As Dr. Corbin was just sharing, this is really about equity and inclusion for all students, not just those who have been identified as having um, some type of difficulty. So how do we collaborate collectively as a staff then? Um, I think typically, like Dr. Corbin said, there's a lot of um, work with the classroom teacher as far as communication strategies go. So you're really working in the classroom, teaching the student how to advocate for themselves. It's a big piece of what we do is self-advocacy and self-determination. Um, a lot of other things that we do, you work with your speech language pathologist, you kind of have to educate um, the other professionals working with that student, what is the hearing loss? What can the student hear? How can we give them access? What if something breaks? What is the process? Where does the student get their batteries? If a battery runs out, you have to have all those in place for a student, especially in a regular edu education placement, um, not an approved private school. Um, that, that's one thing that you really need to have in place because 
the students moving around the school all day. They have different teachers. So there's a big piece of education that the educational audiologist has to do with each teacher, how to use the equipment, how to turn on the remote mic. Um, again, troubleshooting is a big part. We're teaching everyone who works with that student how to troubleshoot equipment. Um, what if something breaks? Where do you go? You go to your educational audiologist and you need to have a fix for it. And it needs to be quick because if they don't have their equipment, they don't have access to their education. Um, I think another big role that people wouldn't think of is the social role that we play with kids with um, kids that are deaf and hard of hearing. Um, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a lot of counseling. When you're an educational audiologist, you become a friend to a lot of these kids, um, a support system, not only to the student, but also the teachers and the families. Yeah, you know, it sounds, I wrote down, I was writing everything down and then I kind of, I kind of put a big arrow and said coach, right? That's, you're really an educational audiologist is coaching the teachers, the staff, but also the students, the families. And I think that's such an important piece that, again, we were missing an understanding there about this unique role and this unique um, place within a school setting that an educational audiologist has. So I, I so appreciate that. And Dr. Corbin, I'll, I'll kind of leave it to you to offer some last words around the role and the collaboration with an educational audiologist and the rest of the school team. So please, uh, any additional thoughts there? Sure, I, I love that you pulled that out and kind of summarize that as a coach, because I really do think that is the key element here. When you're coaching um, a skill development, um, you know, you think about the, th the example I always share with students in training program at the university is we kind of just learn how to communicate in the home as we grow up and in school environments. And we don't really, we take it for granted, I think. And, and one of the examples I say when we're thinking about teaching communication strategies to communication partners of someone who might be deaf and hard of hearing is taking that for granted out of it. So for instance, a lot of us grew up in a house where we had a parent or a sibling or some communication partner yelling across the house of, hey, dinner's ready, or they start a conversation from another room. And typically we're able to say what, or you know, respond to some degree. When you're deaf and hard of hearing, that's, that's not a thing. Um, it's really difficult. So you have to teach people how to communicate, taking it back to the basics. Instead of shouting across the room, you make sure that your communication partner, you tap them on the shoulder or you make them aware that you're, you're about to start a conversation. Make sure that the lighting is appropriate. They're facing you. They have access to your visual, your facial cues. And that is a lot of coaching that goes into that. And so I think that what Dr. Craig was pointing out as well is that really big role of an educational audiologist is coaching people on optimal communication strategies for development. Um, and then again, yeah, being that, that advocate and that partner in the IEP team, making people aware of the communication difficulties that might impact learning for the child who's deaf and hard of hearing or has any kind of listening difficulties, as Dr. Craig mentioned, it's not just children who are diagnosed as hard of hearing. They might have an auditory processing disorder or some other communication difficulty 
where hearing and communication strategies that would be beneficial for someone who's deaf and hard of hearing are also going to be beneficial for that child. So I just, I want to emphasize again, I love that you, you described it as a coach. Yeah. And Dr. Corbin, I'm going to add two more words to that. I'm going to go with coach advocate partner, which were those other additional um, terms that you had given me. So coach advocate partner. And, you know, when we're talking about equity and inclusion, these are the things that we need to be focused on. An educational audiologist is just one unique role, but think of all the others that are in our school setting that we need to ensure we are partnering with, we are advocating for, and we are getting coaching by and with um, to make sure that our students have access to not only the learning, but the social environment as well. Thank you both so much for being on Pat and Pod. It was such an important conversation, and I'm so thrilled that you were able to join us today for this conversation. Thank you very much. And I'd just like to say to Dr. Corbin, thank you for joining us today. I know you're busy at the University of Pittsburgh and we really appreciate you spending some time with us. And Dawn, thanks for the great questions and the time. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you to all of you who are out there. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.